My name is Vikram Rathore and welcome back to another Risa podcast. Today I will be co-hosting this podcast with Hashir Afnan, this year's director of podcast at Risa. We will be diving deeper into office leasing with the expertise of Jace Johnson, a senior manager for office leasing at the Oxford Properties Group. Alright, so before we dive into the topic of commercial leasing, I would like to highlight that our guest today, Jace Johnson, was also my mentor in the BMO Mentorship Program back in 2019. It's an honor to have someone with his experience and knowledge on our podcast today. All right, Mr. Johnson, can you please give us a brief overview of your background and your experience in the commercial leasing industry? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, great to be here and terrific to see you again this year. It's been uh, been a while. It feels like it hasn't been too long, but COVID, we kind of lost a couple years there. So um, yeah, so my name is Jace Johnson. Again, I'm the uh, Senior uh, Leasing Manager for Oxford Properties. I take care of Bow Valley Square. Um, so Bow Valley Square is a 1.5 million square foot complex uh, right in the heart of downtown Calgary. It's four office towers and about three floors of uh, kind of mall retail space. So my job is essentially to negotiate deals and make sure that the building stays full. And I'm sure you heard a little bit about that in the market right now. It's not the fullest downtown Calgary. So we're trying to fix that. Yeah. So how did you enter the industry of commercial leasing? Yeah. So um, kind of a funny story. I was was kind of looking for a finance job. So I, I graduated uh, U of C, Haskins School of Business um, with a degree in finance, looking for investment banking jobs and just kind of really trying to figure out my way after uh, after university ended. Um, so that while I was looking for jobs, I was actually doing a kind of a side hustle as a, a marble sales restoration. So essentially going to landlords downtown and talking about restoring their lobbies and whatnot. Um, so a lot of it was sales, a lot of it was talking directly with, you know, property management and whatnot. Um, I also like to go uh, to the bar and to the restaurant. So I was at a, uh, a, a Robbie Burns night um, downtown one night and I started talking uh, politics with um, a group of guys and one of them turned out to be the managing partner for Barclay Street Real Estate um, and he actually offered me an uh, interview. So that was kind of how I got involved in commercial real estate. It was one of those things where, you know, going to university, I didn't even really know much about it. Um, but then I, I kind of landed landed in it. So it was kind of interesting. Um, so I ended up going for the, the interview and after a couple of interviews, I got the job um, and I started working, um, doing office leasing while I was the assistant at the time. I couldn't even trade in real estate because, you know, when you're just out of high school or university, you don't really have those credentials yet. So ended up working with him. And uh, yeah, kind of the rest is history. I worked as a broker, um, got my license. Uh, so I actually was essentially just like, a, if you think of like a realtor, except for commercial properties downtown and uh, in the Beltline. And then uh, from there, moved over to the landlord side. So I got uh, headhunted by a group called Trivest. Um, they're also a large landowner in, and uh, partner with different groups downtown Calgary, um, working more in-house with a, with a large uh, ownership group and essentially doing the same thing. So leasing, negotiating the leases for, for companies that move in. And then shortly thereafter, uh, I, I kind of heard about the job at Oxford um, and then I was able to kind of jump over there. And, and uh, I knew a lot of the guys over there, so I had a good interview and ended up uh, over there. So that's kind of the, the brief history of how I got to, to where I am. That's solid. So how do you stay current on the market trends and changes in the commercial leasing industry? Like you mentioned right now, there's not many people, like the office is uh, spacing, like they're not fully booked out. So how do you kind of stay on top of these? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I mean, it's kind of my job. You have to be, you know, the expert in your field. So uh, most of the uh, information that we get is either through relationships with brokers. So uh, brokers essentially a, a, a realtor for the companies and, and they represent large companies in, in coming to downtown or, or relocating within downtown. Um, so they're probably our main uh, source of information. So they put out quarterly uh, market updates. 
Um, but a lot of my job is really like meeting with these guys. So going for lunches, going for coffees, you know, what's nice out going golfing, going on events, um, big broker trips are actually a big part of kind of what we do. Um, but it's all to try to stay as current as possible. And you really need in this industry to kind of have the, the cutting edge information, right? If you're, if you're kind of lagging behind that, then you're probably not going to be gaining the, the momentum that you need. I'm sure you guys have kind of read the newspaper right now. We're looking at 30% downtown Calgary's vacant. Um, downtown center course, when you actually look at right down the, the, the financial core of Calgary, you could actually, in a class, it's about 40%. So it's, it's a lot of wood to chop. And it's, um, it, it just show, it goes to show how important that information is. So yeah, mark reports, broker knowledge, and then just talking to as many people as possible. So I mean, you know, Bull Valley Square is a great uh, example because we have 194 companies in the complex. You're constantly talking to the companies in your complex, you know, asking who's moving, who's growing. Um, so it's really just about trying to get as much information as possible, talk to as many people as possible, and just keep that uh, your ear to the ground. What are some uh, common challenges that businesses face when looking for commercial leasing properties? So, like when you work with these companies, as you can see, you're managing 194 companies in that building. Like, what are the what are the common challenges each one faces? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 a lot. Like right now, um, it you, you see those numbers. Like you look at like 30% vacancy, and you see, okay, well that's there should be a lot of options out there. But if you're looking at really nice like A-class, double-A-class space, it's actually, there's not as, as much as you think out there. So if you actually look at the market trends right now, um, there's kind of a bifurcation in the market. So if you're looking at really good class assets, most of the assets, all the assets that we own are, you know, double-A or A-class, they're actually doing really well. So we have like one of the lowest vacancy rates that I would say out of a lot of downtown landlords, like Bow Valley Square is only 10% vacant, which, you know, is a pretty good uh, vacancy rate for a lot of like Eau Claire Towers, 100% lease, Centennial is like over 90. So, I mean, we're doing quite, quite well. Um, so that just goes to show that a lot of these companies that are looking for good space, it's not as easy as you might think. And the prices are also starting to go up. So um, whereas last year we were doing deals at Bow Valley for about 10 to 12 bucks net, um, over top your operating costs, we're now looking at like 18 to 19, pushing to the 20 ter- territory. So that's almost double in the price in just a year. So that and we're and we're doing deals at that. So you, you hear the the doom and gloom in downtown Calgary, but there's actually a an uptick in activity. There's an uptick in transactions. We did over 65 transactions just last year in Bull Valley, just our just the, those four buildings. So it's it was terrific. Um, all that to say, it's getting harder for tenants to find spaces. So what do they need? They need to find you know, a good space. A lot of times they want something that's built up to their specification and those built out spaces are harder to come by nowadays. So essentially what that is, is like a show suite. If you go and you're looking at like a show home when you're looking for a house, uh, same for commercial real estate, you go in and you look in an office and it's completely built out. Um, a lot of times there's furniture, there's new paint, new carpet, new glass. A lot of times we're actually opening up ceilings to make it look a little bit more funky, a little more character. Um, and those spaces just aren't as common anymore. So some of the challenges would be, you know, finding spaces that fit properly. Um, a lot of times you need to have enough time to get into your new space. So sometimes somebody might come to a broker and say, Hey, we need space, but we need it like next month. Well, it takes eight weeks just to get a permit to build space. So if you want to get built out space, you're probably going to not be able to do it. Right. So, so a lot of times is you have to have enough time. So right now we're looking to build out a new office is about four to five months. And that's being like pretty tight. So you need to kind of go ahead, ahead of the game. So, I mean, there's the, the layout, there's the location they want to be in, there's the price. Um, and there's also, yeah, like the building, like what kind of amenities do you want? A lot of times right now, people are struggling with trying to bring people back to the office, right? I'm sure you guys have heard a lot of that with yeah. the hybrid work environment. How do you get people to get excited about coming back to the office? 
And a part of that is really providing a workspace that is different than, you know, sitting at home in your living room in your pajamas on your laptop, right? Like, what can you do? You can you play pool there? Can you like socialize? Um, so what a lot of lounges are doing is we kind of refer to it as the amenities arm race. And it's, you know, everybody has a, a tenant conference center. Everybody has a tenant lounge. Everybody has a fitness center. You know, some places have squash courts. Some people have uh, golf simulators. Like, how do you find spaces that are more than just a workplace, right? And a lot of times these companies are looking at it not just as a place to work, but it's like, okay, let's get everything together because we know that we're probably not all going to be back to the office. At least some organizations are starting to work from home at least, you know, one or two days a week. I'm sure you guys kind of have heard of, you know, like Mondays and Fridays are kind of a ghost town downtown, but it's, it is to some extent like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of challenges and, and that's kind of what uh, what we're there for, right? Like Oxford has, you know, A-class buildings, we have A-class management, we have amenities, we have good pricing for the most part, um, and we build out really nice space. So um, we try to check all those boxes. But but again, if you're looking for a really cheap deal, there's still cheap deals to be had. Um, there's a couple tech companies that they moved, so Neil Financial is, is an example. So they moved uh, to the Edison a couple of years back, they took three floors. They got a pretty good deal. They got incentivized to get over there because the Edison's owned by Aspen and they're trying to get more tech groups to come into their buildings. And so they gave them a sweetheart deal and they came to try to do a renewal uh, at market rents. They said, well, no. And then they ended up signing a deal over in Gulf Canada on a sublease for super cheap. So, I mean, there's still that, you know, you can you can get a good deal, but it's not necessarily going to be the space that you want, right? Absolutely. So um, you were talking about like how uh, we can actually help find tenants like the best possible space for them. So can you share some tips for negotiating these lease agreements when you found that perfect spot for them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you don't want to give away all my negotiating secrets, right? Because <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> I might not be able to win, win any more negotiations. But no, really at the end of the day, what you have to understand is what the people's intentions are behind it, right? Um, sometimes price isn't the most important thing, right? So you really have to understand what your client's needs and their wants are. Um, some people might want a really cool building to get their people back. Like I was just talking about some people, you know, their budgets are tight and they really just need to get the most attractive deal. Um, knowing what your client or your customer in our case is looking for really kind of helps from the onset because I mean, it doesn't matter. Somebody has got a $10,000 a month budget. It doesn't matter how many golf simulators you have and, and whatever. If, if you're looking for over a full floor, that's just not going to happen in some of these buildings. So understanding what the motivation is, is, is critical. And then, I mean, just knowing the market. If you have the, the market trends and the data, it's it's a lot easier to make those decisions, right? If, if you're completely out of whack with what the market is and, you know, somebody brings me an offer at 10 net and I say, no way, it's 30, they're going to be like, well, I'm going to go next door, right? So you have to understand the market. You have to understand the motivations. Um, and you have to be good at your job. You have to know how to negotiate. So those are a couple of things that we do. You mentioned previously how a lot of your buildings, you have very low vacancy rate. What would you say is your competitive advantage or what has Oxford done specifically that's allowed them to maintain those low vacancy rates? Right. Yeah, I think it's a lot of kind of what we were just talking about, right? Like we we own A-class assets, you know, it's, our Eau Claire district is, you know, near the river. They're brand new, the well, newer buildings for Calgary. Um, they have all the amenities that you might need. Um Bow Valley is center ice downtown. It's got all the amenities. Uh, we we are priced reasonably well. Um, we are pushing the envelope a little bit, but I think there's value there. 
Um, so it's really just, you know, and, and it's also an A-class management. Like I, I can't, you know, give enough props to, to our team um, on the on the site level. So the property managers, the building operators, construction managers, everybody that we work with at Oxford, they're the best of the best, right? So if you have the best people, you have the best buildings, um, it's usually a winning combination. Fantastic. So can you discuss on like any of uh, current or upcoming trends in the commercial leasing industry that we should be aware of? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so kind of touched on this a little bit, but there's that bifurcation. So we're really seeing a tale of two markets right now. Um, you can look at, you know, market updates in 33% vacancy and what and whatnot. It paints a pretty, you know, doom and gloom picture. Um, but of course, I'm sure you guys have heard of some of the conversions that are happening downtown. So there's a number of buildings that are being converted to um, to residential or maybe hotels. Um so that's taking a bit of, of the inventory out, which is helping. Um, but it's really a tale. If you have a good asset, uh, it's, there's really starting to become less and less space available in really good buildings. So it's becoming, you know, double A class is about 70, 17% vacant. And that's including sublease. If you pull up the sublease, you're like single digits for head lease. And that's a very healthy market. So we're really starting to see uh, annual rents or basic rents bump off the bottom. So we're starting to see an increase in, in a lot of cases. And if you have good quality assets, you're going to be just fine. Now, if you, that's also to say if you have C-class assets on the West End, like you might as well light a match and walk away, right? Like there's not a whole lot you can do with those assets. Um, that's why a lot of people are converting them. Um, so there's there's um, a, a lot of challenges if you have that type of asset. And, and luckily, we don't have that. So when you're dealing with clients and a client comes to you and they have specific needs and wants, how do you help them determine the best location for their property and needs? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a little challenging because like obviously I'm very, um, pre my preference is they come to Bow Valley Square, which is one square block downtown. So, I mean, I'm always going to push for 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 Bow Valley because that's kind of my baby. Um, but as as a whole, for, for obviously, if, if they're looking at other properties within the Oxford family, it really, it's, it's just a matter of figuring out what their, their needs and wants are. Um, but yeah, I always try to push them to, because I, I just managed Bow Valley Square, I'm going to be, I'm going to try to find them the best option within the complex. And I mean, there's a lot of different options within the complex. You know, there's high rise space, there's low rise space, there's retail space. Um, there's, you know, show suites, there's space that are, they're a little bit older that are a little bit more um, affordable and there might be a better deal to be had there. There's moving ready space, there's space that's base building. So essentially you have to build, do a whole build out for it. So um, really, again, it comes down to understanding what the needs are. Um, and if we have a, a way to fulfill those needs, we're certainly going to push hard to, to find a space for them in our portfolio, at least. And we're out because we're owners, we're always going to try to keep them in, with us. Absolutely. So you mentioned A-class assets, C-class assets. So for our listeners that don't exactly know what that means, can you clarify, careful, clarify that a little bit for me, please? Yeah, yeah, you bet. So um, there's, a, there's a BOMA handbook that essentially classifies um, buildings based on uh, a number of um, different uh, characteristics. So age of the building is a really good example. Um, what's been upgraded in the building is a really good example. Um, so, I mean, it's... It, you can have a building like Bull Valley Square, for instance, was the first tower was actually finished in 1972. So if we did nothing to Bull Valley Square one since 1972, it's probably gonna be a C building, right? But we're an A because we constantly upgraded in 2011, we upgraded all the lobbies, we upgraded the, you know, all the common areas, the fitness center. So it's really a matter of like, how well is, is this, is the building maintained? Um, what's the light, what's the, the year of it? Uh, you know, what's the floor plates? So how, how big are the floor plates? Um, there's a number of measurements and standards, um, and really like how environmentally friendly are they? Like, there's a lot of characteristics that kind of go into that. But if you look at like, 
I don't know, you can almost tell, right? Like if you look at a building and it's kind of falling apart and it's a little bit older, um, you think, you know, somebody in like the 70s might have worked there. That's probably a C-class building. Then if you see a ton of glass, really modern, um, that's probably more of a more of an A or, or an A double A. Absolutely. So I remember back in 2019, you took me on a building tour. And while we were on this tour, you actually renewed a lease. And to me, that was completely like so exciting because yeah. that was the first time I saw something like that happen, like live in person. So I was wondering, can you are you able to discuss any recent or notable deals that you've been part of recently? Um, so I can't disclose uh, deals specific, um, but I can talk about like companies that we've we've worked with Absolutely. on a regular basis. So um, for instance, in Bow Valley Square, anchor tenants are, are Termaline, um, uh, Oil Corp, and KPMG. So obviously, large accounting firm, large uh, natural gas producer, um, actually one of the largest in Canada now. So great covenant. Uh, we have terrific companies all across our portfolio. Um, but I, I'm really pleased to just see the amount of good quality tenants and companies that, that are coming to Bull Valley Square, especially on, on a new deal basis. There's going to be a couple announcements here pretty quickly that I'm pretty excited about. Be able to share that in a little bit. But uh, no, I mean, like we've done we've done a number of deals, right? We have uh, uh, the Alberta Energy Commission. We have um, just 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 a ton. Uh, Step Energy, uh, Conoco Oil and Gas. Uh, there's there's like I said, 194 companies in Bull Valley Square. So there's a, a number of really notable ones. Some of the, the bigger deals that I worked on at Trievest, like of course there's the Transalta deal in Keynote, um, School of Alberta Ballet when I was a broker. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of different companies that I've had the privilege of, of working on with. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's just nice to be able to maybe you know read the newspaper and you see a couple names. You're like, oh, I was just chatting with that guy a couple days ago, right? So it's, it's cool to, to be involved in this industry because you get to meet a lot of these C-suite characters. Um, and a lot of them are you know salt of the earth, good guys. Um, and it's really interesting to see some of these groups grow too, right? Like there's been a couple of companies where you know they started off as one or two offices and they grew to half a floor and then they grew to a floor and a half. Um, and it's just, it's pretty neat to see um, at, at the ground level, some of these companies and how they, they grow, right? Because that's kind of what the dream is, right? You know, Calgary used to be that story like a you know, hundred times over with the oil and gas industry. You start off with a couple guys and then you end up with, you know, like five or six floors, right? But we're actually seeing that a bit um, and it's, it's, it's exciting to see. I mean, there is a lot of people right-sizing right now. Like if you look at like Suncor and Shell, um, those transactions just got completed. They're they're obviously contracting. They're right sizing. There's a lot of these large companies that are trying to figure out what does the you know office look like, the office world look like after the work from home, after you know COVID. Um, and a lot of people are realizing they can save a lot of overhead on office space if they just you know have some of their employees work from home. But there's other guys that never left. Like there's a lot. Like you know, I, I give a shout out to one of our our best companies in Bow Valley, Termaline. And like those guys were pretty much in the entire time. Um, so it's really, it, it's really interesting to, to kind of see, you know, everything from like these tech startups all the way up to these massive oil and gas companies, being able to work with them, get to know the, the ownership groups and really just see them grow. Definitely. I agree with that. Uh, a lot of our viewers probably have never seen or been a part of a, a transaction in this, in this type of commercial industry. So could you take us a little step-by-step, step, like how, how the process would work in a, re, in a real estate transaction? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of focus on the leasing side because that's what I do. Um, but it all really starts um, with, uh, with the relationship with the broker. So um, the broker needs to first understand what we have to offer, um, how easy we are to deal with, um, the, the asset that we manage, the pricing that we offer. 
Um, so usually we have a pretty good relationship with, with the key brokers in, in, in the industry. Um, so the relationship really starts with, I get a call and the broker calls me up and says, hey, Jace, like I have a group looking for a floor, you know, 20 offices, 30 offices, something like that. Um, what do you have available? A lot of times they can look it up, but they give me a call because I might be able to be able to give them a little bit of an inside scoop. And I'll say, oh, okay, well, there's X, Y, and Z floors coming up. Uh, this is, you know, one of the show suites we're building. This is something that you probably might not have known of. This group's leaving. And then from there, we kind of narrow down, okay, what do you actually need? And then they start with a tour. So that they, they show up with the company and, and they go on a tour. And essentially, it's exactly what it sounds like. You meet me in the lobby, do a little spiel about the building. We, we run up and we tour around the common areas. So I'll show them all the amenities. I'll show them all the retailers. Like in Bow Valley, we have like close to 50 different um, food offerings in the food court. It's four sit-down restaurants, four coffee shops. Um, yeah, if anybody wants an office space at Bow Valley, this is a shameless plug. It's a terrific uh, complex. But that's that's how it starts, the tour. You go, you get them excited. And that's one of the, the hardest things to do. And one of the things that I really try to, to preach, at least, is it's it's a very important part. Because if you think about 30% vacancy downtown, and you think about how many options these companies have, this is probably your one op- opportunity to really get in front of the decision maker. Usually it's a CFO or a CEO of a company. And other than that, you're dealing directly with the broker. So if you can make a really good first impression on the decision maker, that's kind of your one shot to do it. So if you can't, if you if you blow that, let's say you, you don't show up to the tour or, you know, you, you're just really not interested, you're just kind of opening doors. Well, there's a lot of options out there. Unless they really like the asset, they might just go to somewhere else, right? So that's your first opportunity to really make an impact. And then from there, you hopefully make it to the shortlist. The broker will then call you up and say, hey, Jace, XYZ Corp actually really likes Bull Valley. Um, we'll probably come back around for a second tour. And then they might bring um, more of the employees, get a second set of eyes. I've had tours as large as like 30, 40 people. They bring the entire like organization to come through and walk around and then walk around again. Usually after the second tour, they'll probably have an idea and then they'll write us an offer. So that's where the kind of the first kind of the pen hits the paper and you start saying, okay, well, Mr. Landlord, here's what we're prepared to do. And usually it goes back and forth three or four times, you know, hopefully less than that. But um, you negotiate an offer and the offer essentially outlines uh, the deal terms in, under which a company will enter into a lease. So a lease, it can be a hundred page document and offers maybe a five page document. So it simplifies it. It just puts the deal terms onto paper. So you negotiate that back and forth. Once you get to a point where the, the offer is uh, agreed upon by both sides, that's when it becomes what we call conditional. Um, so every deal or most deals will have conditions um, you know, conditions would be an example of senior management approval. So we just have to make sure that, you know, our buildings are coned most of the time. So we have to make sure our coners on board with the, the transaction uh, can be conditional on financial approval. So, you know, uh, Joe Blow wants to start a oil and gas company, but he has $10 in his bank account. Yeah, you can come on a tour, but we're going to check your bank account <laughs> and make sure you can actually afford the rent um, so that we have to approve the financial quality of a tenant. Um, there might be build-up costs, right? So we got to make sure that you're not building out like, a gold-plated bathroom or something like that, and the costs are too extravagant. So there's 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 conditions on like the cost of construction. Um, so there's a lot of different conditions. And then so you'll get conditional, you'll work through these conditions, um, and then once you waive all these conditions, you get uh, essentially unconditional. And what that means is that um, both parties have agreed to the transaction, and a lease starts being drafted. Then we get the lawyers involved, and they'll draft up the lease. And then it's then you get back to the negotiating table and you start negotiating this hundred page document. And usually when you're negotiating this hundred page document, um, it's very similar clauses that are negotiated. But you have lawyers on each side. Uh, we always recommend that our, our customers go and talk to lawyers um, and have their legal counsel. But I mean, for the most part, we can kind of advise on, on business um, terms in the lease. 
And then a lawyer uh, and our risk team will deal with any insurance risk or, you know, more legalese comments that, that happen. And that can be sometimes really easy. Sometimes people will sign back and say, you know what, I like this. Here you go. Here's the signed lease. Very often it's, you know, there's 200 comments. So you're going through like 200 different back and forth in a red line and that can take a couple weeks. So at that point, if you do come to terms on the offer, you come to terms on the lease, all the financials are good. The tenant has money, both sides agree to the deal. Then you essentially get to the point where you can send the lease out for execution. Um, and then that's usually, it, it actually used to be back, um, I'm dating myself a little bit, but used to have to go and actually get, you know, signed pen copies of each document. And do, so you'd go to the office with three copies and they'd sign three copies, you'd take it back, the other person signed. Now it's all done by DocuSign thanks to COVID, which is great. Um, so once the DocuSign's all gone through, then it uh, it's a, a firm deal. And then the, the work will start up, there's build-out costs. Um, and uh, if, if not, they can kind of just take the keys. You'll always need to give, you know, insurance deposits, that kind of thing. And then they're able to kind of come into their space. So that's a very high level overview. There's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. There's conversations that are had. There's internal approvals that have to be received. Um, but hopefully that gives like a little bit of a, a background into the, into the process. Absolutely. So if just negotiating the lease takes a couple of weeks, how long does this entire process take? Because it seems like it's quite a bit time consuming. Yeah, yes. Well, I mean, we try to make it fast, but uh, it inevitably takes time. Um, if there's con any kind of construction involved, it can take quite a while because you need to get a scope, you need to get designers involved, pick finishes, um, just the negotiations. We like to have a negotiation take place in, in a month or, or under. Sometimes it can draw, draw out. Um, my longest negotiation, I just closed a deal actually in, in January, um, and I can't say who it's with, but it took over a year to negotiate. And it was uh, so like literally worked on this for I think it was like 18 months. So there's there's that's that's an extreme. You know, I think on average, it's kind of a month, month and a half. And you can negotiate a deal. Uh, again, it really depends on the size um, and the scope of work. Sometimes some of these larger deals take longer, obviously. Um, and anytime you get, you know, a bunch of lawyers in a room, um, <laughs> there's a, it takes a little, a little bit of time sometimes. But uh, it typically a month and a half. Le less than a month would be ideal. The fastest deal I ever did was two weeks. Um, and that's like in, in commercial real estate, that's like breakneck speed. Definitely. As you um, mentioned uh, before about the length it takes to, you know, execute a deal. Um, do you ever come across a deal where you feel like you put in a lot of time and effort, but then there's no result as like the deal collapses? And then like, how do you deal with the repercussions of that? Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, that's a, that's a big risk. Um all the time, right? It, it, there's a saying, time kills deals, right? So if you if you can wait on something, it's better not to because there's there's a chance that, that waiting on it could actually result in them finding another option somewhere else, or maybe they have cold feet and they start looking, oh, how much is this actually gonna cost? So there's, there's definitely, um, you know, repercussions to being slow uh, and being fast and being able to, you know, negotiate quickly, get things done quickly. It, it's it's kind of what we need to do. Um, but there's been a couple examples of that. Like I have a couple deals where, you know, we worked on it for a month, two months, and then all of a sudden it's, it's gone. Um, it's, it's tougher if you're a broker. Cause I remember when I was in brokerage, you essentially, you eat what you kill. And, and if you're not closing a deal, then like there's, there's no money coming in. Right. So it's a little bit more impactful when you're on the brokerage side, but on the landlord side, it's still like, we have targets to hit, we have, you know, spaces to fill up. So it is, it's impactful for us as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, speed is, speed is crucial. Um, you just have to really know what you're doing and you have to make sure you're able to move the process along. And a lot of times, you know, we'll do deals direct with tenants and some of the, sometimes, you know, you look at it, well, maybe I'm not paying a broker, 
But at the same time, there's a lot of times like we love to pay brokers because they help speed up the process. They help educate. Because if you think about it, if you have someone that's new to this process, you're not only negotiating against them, but you're also trying to educate them. So if you have to do both, it can take a long time. So that's where brokers are, are su- certainly helpful. Absolutely. So um, you've had with Travis for quite a while. Can you tell us a little bit about experiences with that company and why you switched over to Oxford? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so so Trivest, um <clears throat> Trivest was was a great role. Uh, I really appreciate you know the opportunity I had over there. Worked with some great people. Um, had a lot of fun. Uh, I actually had a, a coworker I worked with who was on the industrial side, so he negotiated industrial deals. And we we had um, I, I never forget he he had this Mexican wrestling mask that he he wore when the windows cleaners came around, and he would just stand there with his arms on his hips and stared at these guys. Like, so it was, it was a really funny kind of work environment and, and some great memories from, from, uh, from that time. Um, terrific guys over there. So uh, Trivest is, is a, a third-party management company and ownership group to some extent. Um, so they essentially would manage on behalf of different ownership groups. One of the big differences is, is Oxford is the ownership group. So um, whereas uh, a lot of times it'd be a little bit of a longer uh process to get approvals because essentially it in this in in this case you'd essentially have to go to an asset manager for almost every turn and so you go you know i'd like to do this deal uh go to asset manager asset manager go to the owner okay jason would like to do this deal the owner would think about it go back to the asset manager okay you can do this and he'd come back to me okay you can do this then i present it and then they say something else and you go back up and down the chain right whereas at oxford i can say i think we should do this and then you go so that it's just a little bit faster um but uh, I really enjoyed the the aspect. So we had 23 buildings um, that I managed over there. So going from you know one complex to 23 buildings with different ownership groups, different parts of the city, Beltline, suburban, downtown. It was kind of neat because there's there's like character buildings. There was you know A class downtown office space. There was um, you know suburban like we we ha- we managed the the building where Spence Diamonds is on the Cloud Trail. So. It was kind of a wide variety, um, as opposed to you know Bow Valley. It's it's actually more square footage. It's it's one point five million square feet, and I think, excuse me, the uh, the portfolio at Trivest was like one point three four, one point four. So it's 20, 23 buildings, but it's actually less square footage than Bow Valley Square. So there's a little more variety, right? Like there's a little bit different different. Uh, you're dealing with different tenants, different spaces. Uh, so it was, that was nice, um, and yeah, I loved the people I worked with. It was a terrific opportunity. Um, uh, they have a great organization, and I really enjoyed working with them. And then, yeah, I was really pleased that uh, that I was able to find a job at Oxford. Essentially, I saw the job uh, came up online, and or somebody actually called me and told me about it. I can't—I don't even think I saw it online because I don't think I was looking at the time. And and I knew the the VP, so I just gave him a call and said, "Hey, that's. Uh, do you think I'd be a good fit?" And he's like, "Yeah, I think you should apply and apply." And kind of the rest is history. So, um, yeah, no, had a had a lot of fun over at over at Tree of S, and I still look back on those those memories very fondly. Definitely. How, what uh, challenges did you say you'd have to overcome in your career? And I mean, that in the sense that like, there's obviously that everyone knows there's a lot of downturns in the economy and like, you know, especially in the office leasing, probably throughout your career, you had to experience these. How would you say you were able to overcome these challenges or what were the challenges yeah. that, that were presented to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, starting off in brokerage, I mean, the challenge is, is if you don't do any deals, you're not making any money, right? So um, you're not only negotiating deals, but you're negotiating kind of your split with your company and with your partner. Um, and so you really, it, it you overcome that through persistence, right? And, and you have, I had the, the opportunity to work with some great mentors uh, over my, you know, career so far. 
And uh, it's really just a matter of if you just keep working as hard as possible. I mean, you don't have to, you know, be working, you know, 14 hour days every day. But if you if you really if you're persistent, you work hard, you really try to understand, you know, your customers problems, what where your shortcomings are and where you can do better. If you really have that, you know, self realization of, you know, what you don't know, because when you jump into these roles, it's you kind of you don't even know what you don't know. Um, but if you can understand that, then you can try to figure out how to get better. And it's just a matter of it's it's consistency, it's slow incremental change over a long time. Um, and it's just kind of continually pushing to get better at whatever you do and, and understanding that you're, you know, you don't know everything and, and you, you never will. But if you if you're constantly trying to learn, you're constantly trying to get better, it just slowly that incremental change like helps and, and gets better and better. And that's kind of how I feel that I, I was able to get to where I am, right? You're just you never try to act like you know everything. You're always open to learn. You try never to make the same mistake twice. And you just hope that that uh, is seen and, and pays off. And I think it has. Absolutely. So how do you get on the issues with the new remote work style and the hybrid work style? Do companies try and um, lease out like less space <coughs> just because not everyone's going to be in a, at the office at the same time? So what are some of the challenges that you see with that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the main challenges that we're facing right now. We're, we're really starting to see... Uh, a different well before COVID we were even starting to see a bit of this where everything everybody was looking at doing more open concept then COVID came in and nobody wanted to be in an open area because you, you didn't know if you're gonna like sneeze and get infect the person next to you um, and now it's who's who's in the office and who's not in the office and 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 technology is becoming ever more important so having what we call like zoom rooms so like a small room like this even half the size of the room we're, we're in about a 10 by 15 room right now for people who can't see but uh, the smaller rooms um, they're kind of like you know seven by seven and they're essentially a zoom room so you go in there you take a private call because a lot of these places are open concepts so you're seeing a little bit of changes to the to the design of the offices but you're also seeing just a really a big change to to make it a very desirable environment so like i was saying with the amenities but they're also doing that with their space so a lot of companies have come to us and say we just want to have like a really nice collaborative work environment where we might not even be working out of here it might just be two or three times a week, we come together and we, we try to collide, we try to have some information like sharing, and then some people might work from home, right? Um, so it's really trying to make it as desirable as possible to come back to the office. I mean, you look at like the the dog-friendly environment, a lot of landlords looking at that. I mean, we may be looking at that. I don't know. It's 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 always a tough thing because there's some people that are very strong supporters of it. There's people that are against it. But I know like, you know, dogs are a big thing that like my wife doesn't want to go back to the office because we got a little little golden dude named Pebbles and, you know, Pebbles is, does, has, doesn't even know what life is like without, without mom and dad at home, right? So, um, so it's, it's how do you try to, you know, bridge that gap and make home, home uh, you know, it's, it's a great place to work, but it's, it's not the place to work. You really start to lose a sense of uh, community and culture, I find. If you're always working from home, you almost forget like, okay, I'm a part of this organization. You forget who you're working with. Um, and having a central hub of where people can come in and, and meet and gather. Um, and I mean, frankly, a lot of people like working at the office. Like I, you know, I, I love being at home, but I mean, I, I I almost didn't go back. Like I when I when I went home, it was because I had to work from home. I've, I've always been in the office just because I really enjoy having my own space having a disconnect when I'm home, I'm home when I'm at work, I'm at work. And a lot of people I find actually worked more from home because there was never really an off button, right? Like I know people who are getting messages from their boss at like 9, 10, 11 PM because they see the little green dots on and like, okay, well, if you're working, I'm working, but they might just be watching Netflix, right? So there's, I think there's a strong reason to go back to the office and 
Uh, and it's not just uh, because you don't want to be, you know, working your pajamas all day. It's because I think there's a lot of community relationships that are being made. And I mean, people, I think they want to be together, right? Like I think people want to have a connection. They want to be, you know, doing this as opposed to through the screen, right? So I think there's, and we're going to try to provide that place for them. Definitely. How do you say, how important is like time management in your day now, especially dealing with multiple deals probably at one time and maybe you could just take us through like a day in the life, like what, what you go through from like maybe the start of your morning till the end of the day and like what kind of hours you usually work in your week. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so it's huge um, for sure because uh, at least in my role, like we're, we, we've been so busy in the last two years that we're almost always at least 15 to 20 deals on the go at all times. So that's, you know, hundreds of critical dates. That's, you know, hundreds of phone calls. Um, so just to, to run you through kind of a typical day, I mean, I'm an early riser. I like to get up quite early. I like to get a workout in before I go in the office. Um, I also, so I'm, I'm a member of the Bow Valley Athletic Club. Um, it's a squash club, downtown Calgary, another shameless uh, shout out to those guys. Um, but it's a terrific place to kind of, you know, lift weights, play squash. There's a steam sauna. So I, I get to the gym by like 6.37, do an hour. I'm in the office kind of by eight at the latest. And then you start, start kind of catching up on emails, looking at what's coming in. Um, a lot of my days spent touring. So like I said, going to meet new companies, meeting existing companies. So talking to our existing tenants, going and meeting with different groups. Um, it's spent, you know, obviously on the phone with brokers, negotiating deals, a lot of paperwork back and forth, a lot of meetings with um, our legal team, meeting with our property management team, touring with our property management team, just kind of saying, okay, well, how can we do things better? So it's a lot of like, I'm looking at my watch right now. I have 14,000 steps today. So, I mean, that's a pretty average day and that's just me walking around and I didn't, you know, do, I didn't work out or play squash today. So this is just literally walking around doing my job. So it's a lot of variety, which I really like. Um, no two days are the same. Um, you're really, you're meeting, you know, there could be some guys in hoodies trying to start up a, a tech company and then you're meeting with some, you know, powerful CEO who's doing like, you know, crazy things, expanding at a floor a year. And there's like, there's a lot of guys that are doing that. So it's the variety is it's terrific. Um, and yeah, it's hard. To, it's really hard to get bored, right? Like you can't really sit, you're not sitting for too long, which is nice. And I have a little bit of ADD. I think I like to always be doing something different, or at least this job has given me ADD. I don't, I don't know if it, which one it is. Um, but yeah, so it's, you're always doing something different. You know, you're, you're trying to like every lunch, you're trying to do something with clients or, or, or customers. So we call our tenants or customers, because that's kind of what they are. Um, so really trying to maximize every hour of the day. And then I'm usually out by six o'clock. Um, if there's nothing, nothing really too hectic to do, you know, there's always, if there's a deadline, we have to meet it, right? If an offer needs to be countered, or if something needs to go out like that, sometimes you'll be working till, you know, midnight, right? And a lot of times I make the mistake of saying, hey, don't worry, I'll get you this today. And then it's 1159. And I hit send. I was like, hey, I didn't lie. I got this to you. But it's a little bit later than I would like to. So it's, uh, it's a lot of variety. It's, it's, um, it's a lot of people, right? So it's a lot of talking, which is which I really like, like, I like interacting with people, like problem solving, right, trying to find what what's important to, to the customers. And it's really cool to be able to see the difference that you make, right? Like I go through some of these old floors, and like, you know, some of them still have like cig cigarette ashtrays in them and like an old bar and like they're like, you know, totally like 30 years old and you can go and you blow it all up and you build something really nice and new and then a new company comes in and you're like, okay, like I kind of helped do this, right? So it's cool to see the before and after and then the impact that you can make. And then you look at kind of the, you know, it's, it's a, a substantial amount of, you know, 
capital invested and, and then also the return on that. You can kind of see that's the the, the, the difference that you've made and, and the impact that you've made. And it's a direct response for uh, the work that you're putting in. So it's uh, it's cool to see that. I think that quite the impact on our listeners. Um, so what advice would you give to students interested in pursuing a career in commercial leasing after, you know, uh, listening to you? Yeah, um, I mean, you just have to talk to as many people as possible. Um, I mean, for the most part, um, most people in our industry, they're busy, but they're they're always happy to kind of talk and, you know, go for coffees, look at, you know, do do what we've done, right? Like the, the internship or the mentorship pro- program's terrific. Um, we do offer internship programs as well as at Oxford from a number of different um, business uh, groups. Um, so it's just, it's really getting out and talking as much as you can with people. Cause I mean, I think commercial real estate, it's getting, it's getting out there more. Like I, I know that there's a lot of programs now offered UFC and, and it's, uh, it's becoming a little bit more mainstream, I guess. But I remember when I was at, in university, like I never knew anything about it. Right. So it's, it's really, you talk to as many people as you can and just ask questions, right? Like say like, what, what do I, what do you do in a day? And can you see yourself, do you think you'd be interested in doing the same thing? Right. And that doesn't happen if you're just in front of a screen, right? <clears throat> And specifically in regards to students, what would you say the barriers of entry are now as compared to when you entered the industry? Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of programs, right? Like the the internship and mentorship programs are out there, which is I think a, a great opportunity. Um, I think you know just being able to go and and you know look up somebody on LinkedIn and send them a message. I had a had a a, a lady message me actually that was it this week or last week. Can't even remember. But just wanted to talk about my role, and I was like, "Sure, I'll go for a coffee." You know, we chatted a little bit, and she's a student. I think she's actually a student at UFC. Um, so there's that that you know, barriers is is really. I don't think it's ever been less there than it is now. Like there's people are always open. You know, we're all busy, but I think most people in our industry are, are happy to kind of help out the the next generation. And um, frankly, we we need <laughs> the next generation, right? Like it's it is one of the I wouldn't say backward, but it's it's definitely a slow adopter of a lot of you know, technology. And I think that the more people that can kind of come in through the ranks, the better. Um, so it's, I think it's, it's a little bit easier, but yeah, I would just say, get, get involved. I mean, the, the associations in the schools are terrific. I think there's some programs out there. Um, and then just, yeah, if you, if you're more interested in learning more, just reach out to people and, and there's, I'm, I'm certain there'll be people that want to talk. Solid. So we have, we do have a real estate degree here at, at Haskins School of Business. But do you think it's necessary for someone to hold this degree or would you recommend anyone that's interested in the field to kind of get involved? Like, for example, I'm a banner major. Um, do you think it's suitable for someone like me to kind of get involved if I'm interested? Sorry, a banner major? Yeah, so business analytics. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah I don't know the, the acronyms. Um, yeah, I think obviously it's it's one of the, the hardest things getting to commercial real estate is understanding like just the, the concepts and the lingo. So if you can get a background, you know, whether it's through the university, just understanding the basic terms. Um, like I was, I was a finance major and, and, you know, quite frankly, I don't use a whole lot of what I learned at school. It's important to understand, right? Like understanding corporate structures, understanding, you know, net present value calculations. Like we have a calculator that does all that. So that's, um, that's good. Um, but I think it's really open to like many different fields. Like I wouldn't say that it's just real estate that would, that would, that would do well. I mean, finance, like I think operations management, I think there's a lot of different, uh, roles and, 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 uh, you know, types of types of diplomas or education that you could have that would really, you know, translate well. And I think the more you have, like, I think the more diversity you have coming into these roles, the better, right? So if you have everybody that's just a little cookie cutter of the next guy, and I think we had a big problem with that. Like, you think of like the 80s and 90s, it was a very like certain 
guy, right? Let's let's say that like we're we're doing a lot better at getting um, getting women into commercial real estate. There's some terrific, you know, crews a great example. My wife's in commercial real estate, and and uh, you know, but before like it was a very like white male dominated industry, right? So it's I think it's really important that we get out there in front of you know students and 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 try to change that, and and it has like don't get me wrong, I think it has, but I think it's one of the slower adopters of that, and. Uh, yeah, the more diversity and, and the more experience that we can get into the industry, I think the better. Have you noticed the impacts of this diversity throughout your career? Like <clears throat> maybe you now see more different ethnic groups, more women in the industry. Uh, do you feel like that you notice some type of change in like maybe how deals are done or? For sure. Yeah. And I think it's, it also comes down to like, like people respecting people. And so there was a lot of kind of, um, I'd call it like old school 80s mentality where it's like, okay to call somebody at 7 30 in the morning and yell at them about a deal and like i think people are getting a little more respectful and be like hey like we're not saving lives here guys we're like filling office space right so um i think a l- some people are getting a little bit uh better at that there's still some some odd odd ducks out there that haven't um so th- th- we've definitely seen that and i think a lot more inclusion a lot more diversity which is terrific um my wife is also part of uh, the REIT institute i don't know if you guys have heard of that um but it's essentially they're trying to bring in um, people, you know, people of color and, and different ethnicities into commercial real estate. Um, my wife's Mexican and she's a part of the commercial real estate um, industry. So she is really, you know, uh, proud of that. And it's, I think it's a great initiative, but I mean, we never, we, this is just coming to Calgary this year. So it's the first year this is a part of, um, that we're actually seeing this. So I'm like, I think it's terrific, right? I think it's, I think it's really great. It's the way that we're moving. And, um, yeah, I think overall people are just getting a little bit more inclusive and a little bit, a little bit kinder, which is nice to see. That's definitely nice to see. I actually just have one more question for you. And this is just like, how do you hope to grow in this industry? And what do you see for yourself in the future as the industry changes? And uh, hopefully you grow along with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm very happy with where I am right now. And I think I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing, right? Which is trying to do the best at what I do. Um, and it just kind of leads to bigger and better things, right? Like I look at, you know, the deals I was working on five, 10 years ago and my first my first deal I ever did was a laser hair removal clinic in Capitol Hill for about 1,900 feet, right? So you look at that and you look at 100,000 square feet that, that we're working on now, and it's, it's, that's kind of what I'd like to continue to see is just kind of how do I make a bigger impact year over year? Um, how do I make, you know, the people around me, you know, better at what they do? How do I enable, you know, people like yourselves that are looking to get into these roles and, and try to be a leader in, in, in the community and, and uh, in the organization? Yeah, I just see like my impact hopefully becoming greater and greater as the time goes on and hopefully that happens and, and I'm seeing that happen. So um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm looking to, to accomplish. Well, that's great to hear. We appreciate you joining us on this episode of Risa's podcast and hopefully maybe we get to hear from you in the future again. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you having me on here um, and uh, yeah, this is great. Thanks guys. Yeah, if you're interested, we are thinking about holding a panel here at the University of Calgary and just inviting a bunch of industry leaders and we'd love it if you were if you'd be interested in joining us oh that's uh, you got me you got me on the on the camera yeah that sounds great <laughs> let's do it <laughs> 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 <laughs>